Good evening, brothers and sisters. It is good to be with you, family. Uh, We've gathered to reflect, meditate, and ponder on the significance of Good Friday. Uh, The last day of Jesus' earthly life culminating in his crucifixion and death. And to this end, to to draw our our minds and our hearts to consider this all-important, world-changing event in history, uh, we'll spend our time together in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 18. I'll read that passage for us. Apostle Paul writes, For the word of the cross... Is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, merciful, sovereign, mighty, and tender, uh, abundant, and steadfast love, patient and just and holy, a good, good God. On this good Friday, Father, we come asking now uh, as beggars, as needy ones who, who desperately lean on you, depend on you for your spirit to awaken us, to refresh us, to renew our devotion and love and, and our awe of the cross. Lord, we, we need you, God, and you are so good to meet us. And so, Father, we lean on you now together as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the very first word here, for, uh, indicates that what is said by Paul in verse 18, is our passage, serves to support and, and further explain what he said prior in verse 17. But before we look there, it's important for us to note the the overall context leading up to up until this point in the letter. First, Paul is writing to a struggling, hurting church, a group of Christians with a a whole host of issues, uh, lots to choose from. But Paul is addressing a particular issue here concerning some troubling reports he's received. While away doing pastoral ministry work, Paul's heard that these believers in Corinth, they're they're quarreling and they're fighting with one another. The reports say that some of the believers are saying, I follow Paul uh, to establish superiority. And other believers are saying, I follow Cephas, the apostle Peter. And still others are saying, I follow Apollos. And, And the most righteous of them are saying, I follow Christ. In other words, the the members of this local church in Corinth are are breaking off into factions and and divisions and trying to establish their superiority, their status over one another by boasting in their connection with influential leaders, mere men. In our modern context, it would be like members of our church saying, I follow Pastor Mooney. I follow Pastor Gary. Better, I follow John MacArthur. And Paul hears about these reports and he says, listen, Corinthians, hold on. Were you baptized in my name? Was Paul crucified for you? 
In fact, Paul says, I thank God. This is probably the only time a missionary might say this. I thank God I only baptized a few of you. Lest you would use my name to support your selfish ambition and, and lust for status. And then after saying he's happy about not baptizing many of them, that's when Paul says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And the following verses, including verse 18, seek to support this statement, seek to prove this statement. Namely, that if Paul would preach a gospel, if Paul would spend his life traveling from city to city, suffering imprisonments, beatings, humiliation, as he has done, and preach a gospel about Jesus with words of eloquent wisdom, that is, if he were to preach a gospel that was characterized by what humans naturally want and think is wise, it'd be a powerless gospel. No power. And so Paul's whole point in our passage tonight is to prove why that's true. Why it's true that if Paul would, you know, just alter or adjust or, or change the message of the gospel to make it more acceptable, more plausible, more tolerable in the eyes of the world, there would be no gospel. That's, that's Paul's burden tonight. And so to show this as the case, Paul begins verse 18 saying, For the word of the cross is folly. Now, to make that meaning of that phrase, the word of the cross, to make it more explicit, uh, it could be translated as the message, uh, the oral proclamation, the content about this cross. And this message about the cross is really why we're gathered this evening, right? It, it's this message that has come down from heaven, delivered to us by the Holy Spirit through the apostles, that there was once this cross, this, this Roman cross. There was once this Roman cross carried on the back of Calvary's hill by the Son of God. There was once this, this Roman cross that the, the high priest of heaven soaked with his own blood. There was once this cross where the one who is the radiance of the glory of God was stripped naked, nailed to, and humiliated upon. There was once a cross uh, that the creator of the universe, the designer, the sustainer, the one who spoke galaxies and mountains and oceans and lions into existence, infinite in power, infinite in wisdom and love. He wouldn't come down until it was finished. There was once a cross where he who knew no sin, innocent, pure, blameless, true in every way, was punished for our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
so that we might wear radiant white robes in heaven. So that we might experience wave upon wave upon wave of God's kindness for all of eternity. The word of the cross is that message. That message from heaven delivered to us by the apostles that there was once this bloody, wooden, cruel cross where God in Christ died for us. And that all who repent, every single one who turns away from sin and evil to trust Christ, obey Christ, love Christ, they'll be saved through that cross. That's, that's the word of the cross. That's the message of the cross. But Paul says for some, it's folly, foolish, nonsense. It's just not believable. It doesn't meet their criteria. It's not acceptable to their human sensibilities. These, these people here, they hear Paul proclaim this message and they're not convinced. They're not moved to turn away from sin. They're not drawn to love and obey and worship Christ. It's folly to them. And, and Paul says, these are the people who are perishing. They're coming to ruin and destruction along with this whole world in evil age. They're perishing right before his eyes. And, and when Paul says this, he has specific people and faces in mind. Do you As he travels from town to town, he has the faces of his Jewish kinsmen who thought a, a crucified Messiah, a crucified Savior of Israel was blasphemous. It was, a, it was a contradiction in terms. The Messiah, by definition, was supposed to be a conquering king, a triumphant warrior, not a meek, enemy-loving feet washing crucified peasant from Nazareth that's no messiah and Paul has Greeks in mind who thought God taking on filthy human flesh and dying for undeserving sinners was just a foolish idea the Greek gods didn't do things like that it, was, it wasn't rational. It wasn't logical. And so for both Jews and Greeks, Paul's word about the cross as he's going from city to city, it's, it's folly. And he, and he summarizes the situation later in verses 22 and 23. And he, he summarizes it like this. He says, for Jews, they demand signs. And, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So we see here that while Paul knew what the Jews and Greeks wanted to hear, he knew what would satiate their appetite. He wasn't willing to compromise the truth of the gospel to make it more acceptable, more plausible. He wasn't willing to empty it of its power. And brothers and sisters, let us not do so either. Because like in Paul's day, the word of the cross contradicts, it defies the standard wisdom of today. For one, the cross is folly to our culture because it shows us that there is a God. <laughs> There's a God. 
And this, there's a real creator, there's a real designer, a reality our society continues to mock and doubt and scorn. And, and even more, the cross is, is folly because it shows us that not only does a divine creator exist, but that this creator of heaven and earth will not turn a blind eye to evil. That this creator does not tolerate or endorse or support or celebrate sin. In fact, the cross shows us that God's just in, in his holy nature, it's so inflexible. It will not bend. It will not compromise that he hung his own son from a cross. He takes sin very, very seriously. Thus the cross shows us that, that contrary to the common wisdom of our day, God is, a, uh, God is a God of holiness, not a God of unconditional affirmation. He's not a God who just wants you to be so happy and comfortable and cozy in your sin. He's not a God who doesn't care about our, our inner character and our lifestyle, but rather this, this precious, precious blood of his son shows us how deeply he does care. He cares so much. And the cross is not only foolish to modern ears because it reveals God as the, the holy creator, but it also shows us that humans are deeply, deeply sinful. Uh, contrary to popular culture, the cross says that our biggest problem is not our self-esteem. It's not that you don't feel good about yourself. It's not our lack of self-care. You don't need to eat more chocolate, take more baths, and go on more vacations. It's not even our depression and anxiety. No, the cross shows us that our biggest problem is our sin and rebellion against a good and holy creator. It's that our hearts are inclined to lust for evil. I've heard some say that the cross shows us how much we're worth. The cross shows us how valuable we are, but I'd argue that the cross shows you how unworthy we are, how unrighteous we are, how lost and broken we are, that the Son of God had to be beaten, mocked, and killed to save us. Sin goes real, real deep. And so the cross doesn't show us how great we are. It shows us how great and merciful God is. How great in his love and kindness and mercy. Not because we're so deserving and lovable, because he's so, so good on that Good Friday. And since the word of the cross shows us God's uh, uh, unstained, unblemished holiness, his righteousness, and our sinfulness, it's folly to the world, incomprehensible, intolerable. But Paul encourages us. He says, don't change this message. Don't try to make the cross more tasty, more palatable to the natural human heart. Because if you do, it's going to strip it of its power. Because it's, it's the folly of the cross 
It's the way the cross defies natural human wisdom and expectations and desires that demonstrates its heavenly origin. That it's not from below, but it's from above. Because listen, it takes real, real, supernatural, Holy Spirit power to hear this message about Jesus to, to hear that while the world wanted power, Jesus came in weakness. While the world wanted riches and wealth, Jesus became poor. While the world wanted to be served, Jesus came to serve. While the world wanted fame, Jesus was a nobody. While the world wanted comfort and ease, Jesus went to the cross. While the world hated Jesus, he died for us. And the gospel called. The call of Good Friday says, come follow him. Come follow the poor beggar from Nazareth. Come give up your worldly pursuits and passions and store up treasure in heaven. Come turn away from sin and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. Come deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. And, and, and when we can hear that call, when you, when you hear that call of Christ and you say, yes, I'll give up everything to follow you, Jesus. That's power. That's the power of the cross for those who are being saved. That's, that's the power that changes lives. That's the power that takes self-righteous religious leaders like Paul and transforms them into humble servants of Christ. That's the power that takes fatherless, drug-dealing, promiscuous drug addicts like me and turns them into pastors. Uh, that, that's the power that allows children to forgive their abusive and negligent parents. That's the power that can heal the most broken and destroyed marriages. The power that gives us strength to endure cancer. The power that calls a wayward son or daughter home. The power that brings people of all different backgrounds, from highly educated doctors and successful business owners into loving fellowship with poor single mothers and ex-convicts so that they sing with one voice to the glory of God. That's the power of the cross. It, it changes things. You, you can hear the call that says, come and die, trust in Jesus, and say, yes. Yes, I'll love my enemies. Yes, I'll forsake worldly treasures. Yes, I will tear out my eye and I will cut off my arm. I will do whatever it takes to resist sin and temptation and the lure it has on me. Yes, I will pray without seeking, ceasing. I will pray in secret, in secret and genuine prayer. Yes, I will serve my brothers and sisters. Yes, I will share this word of the cross with anyone who will listen. Yes, I will follow Jesus. I will die. Robert Lee, in grave, buried, no longer me, and now Christ lives in me. Have you experienced that kind of power? Has the word of the cross changed, and is it changing you? And if so, 
rejoice. You are being saved. That's amazing. You're being saved right now. But if not, if the word of the cross is still folly to you, be warned, you are perishing. You are perishing. You are coming to ruin. A devastation you cannot imagine. But there's still time. There's still grace. There's still that cross, that old rugged cross that's beckoning you to come. That's beckoning you even tonight that you can say, yes. I see the power of the cross. I've experienced it now. So I pray that would be you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, that rugged cross, Lord. You are so good. The power of the cross is undeniable, Lord. We come confessing our weaknesses. We come confessing our sin. It goes so deep, but your grace runs deeper. And there is true, wonder-working power to turn our lives around. And so, Father, we come to you humbled, asking for help, trusting that you will answer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.